a little story about myself. So quite recently, there's been lots of things happening in my life. And um, I will get to the message in a minute, but I just want to get this off my chest, really. It's like a confession, really. It's, it's almost a, I hope Pastor Dave forgives me. Because um, God does some incredible work in our lives. And, you know, sometimes we think we're okay, don't we? We think we're getting on with it and we're walking on the journey and we're doing the stuff that God has called us to. And often with that focus on what God's called us to, that sometimes we get blindsided, don't we? Does anybody else feel like they're blindsided? Yep, the way I do, very often. And um, a couple of weeks ago, when Pastor Dave was really, really poorly, um, it was really, really poorly, I was at work and I was having an extremely stressful day. And if, if some people know me, they know that, you know, I'm quite a passionate woman, I'm quite an expressive woman, you know, I speak directly, sometimes it can come out and it's a bit short, but so I was having this really stressful day. And often in the workplace, or in life in general, you get stresses placed on you that actually come from other people. And somehow or another, you're dealing with all of their dross, their rubbish, their stress. It, it, some, somehow or another, you end up carrying it or catching it. Because if you're in the presence of anybody, whether they're passionate or not passionate, whether they're inspirational or not inspirational, whether they're, you know, not nice people to be around, you do catch something of them. That, that's what I'm like anyway. don't know about anybody else. So this particular day I was at work and um, I've moved branches. So I work in Beeston Branch and everything was going quite smoothly. And I've gone from perhaps sort of driving in second gear, gear driving Miss Daisy to Fast and Furious 7. Has anybody seen Fast and Furious, the film? Yep. So I've gone from driving Miss Daisy, which is like a nice, gentle drive, to Fast and Furious, fast sort of uh, paced work life. So I cover four managers in the branch. I'm like a PA to them. And my job is time critical. And um, it's to do with investments and lots of money. Millions of pounds we're talking. And if I don't get my job right, then I'm in trouble. And it affects their investment. But this particular day, I've had a new manager on the team. And there was a complaint made against him. And um, they'd, they'd closed the complaint in the middle of the 40-day process and not told anybody and it landed on my desk guess on what day the 40th day so I got the complaint at 10 o'clock in the morning and by 10 past 5 when my lift was going I was still dealing with it because you have to be very careful what you write in a letter you have to be very careful how you put the, get the letter together you have to be very careful that you don't libel the bank and you have to actually address the problem and actually resolve it and it had to go out on that day with the date on it and um, I managed to do this. It was a very, very stressful day. And all the way through the day, I'm saying to myself, well, okay, keep the peace. Jesus says, my peace I give you, my peace I leave with you. Keep the peace. And all the time I'm trying to keep the peace within me because all around me, there was no peace. There was chaos. My new area manager was losing it. He was starting banging his keyboard because he was getting really cross. And I've got another manager who's prolific in swear words and choice language and she's kicking off you know about something else and I've got another manager who's frantically ranting at customers so all around me is chaos and I'm saying keep the peace keep the peace keep the peace Jesus fill me fresh fill me fresh because you know when you're in those situations God is with you isn't he so I did a cracking job so my lift went at five past ten past five something like that 
So I'm thinking, it's all right, Lord, I'll get the bus. I'll get the bus. It's no problem at all. So anyway, so I managed to get the letter, get the date on it, get the stamp on it. I was taking it to the post box at Beeston, which I think the last pickup is about 7 o'clock or 6 o'clock, something like that. Managed to get there, and I'm feeling pretty good about myself because I've kept it all together, looking serene, my makeup's still on, my smile's still on, and I've got it all together. Got my bags packed, got my coat on, ready to face the cold. So I post the letter, and I'm feeling pretty good. Pastor Dave's not very well because I've phoned him at like 20 to 6, and I've said, Dave, I'm, I'm going to, where are you? Oh, I'm not well. Where, where are you? Where are you? Oh, I, I'm in bed. Okay, no, no problem. I'll get the bus. 20 to 6 this was. 20 to 6. Note the time, everyone. So I've got it together and outside. I'm at the bus station at Beeston. So I've, I've quickly left the building at like 20 to 6, quarter to 6. Posted the letter. Got to the bus station because the bus is at 6 o'clock. And, you know, girls, I don't know what your boys are like, probably at a certain age, I'm sort of a little bit desperate for the loo. So there I am. I've got my bags. And I'm looking for the bus and I'm sort of dancing. Got my lovely coat on. Got my bags and I'm dancing. And there's one or two other people there. And it was cold. It was really cold. And I'm looking down the road with a face full of hope. That bus is on its way. That bus is coming for me, taking me home. And I'm dancing. I'm listening to a couple of other people. It's six o'clock and the bus doesn't come. And I'm thinking, do I run to Tesco's for a little wee? Or do I stay where I am? I'm full of hope. I'm full of hope. And I'm dancing. And I'm singing, Jesus loves me. He's here with me. I got the peace. I got the peace. And I'm thinking, yeah. The bus is going to come. Six o'clock comes and goes. Ten past six comes and goes. No bus. By now I'm thinking, I've gone off wanting to wee and I'm cold. And I'm getting aggravated and there's a couple of people at the side of me complaining and huffing and chuffing about the bus not coming. And I'm thinking, well, it's okay, Jesus. I've managed to get through today. I've not sworn like my colleagues. I've not lost it. I've not had a meltdown. Face of hope. That bus is coming for me. No bus. No bus. 20 past 6. No bus. 25 past 6. No bus. And this stuff is starting to rise in me. This anger and this frustration. And I can hear these people. Oh, the buses are always like this. They're never here on time. Oh, it's just typical. Just typical. Where's the bus? And then one of them's gone in Tesco's, gone and done some shopping and come back. And I still need a wee. And I'm there with my bags. And I'm freezing. Cold. And it's getting colder and colder. And I'm thinking, Lord... Keeping the peace, face of hope. Keeping the peace, face of hope. Half past six, no bus. So the timetable is six o'clock, half past six. Six o'clock, half past six, no bus. Check my phone, no phone call. Twenty to six, I ring Pastor Dave, where I am. I'm not well, I'm in bed. Six o'clock bus didn't come, half past six bus didn't come. Face of hope, disappearing. <laughs> I did, I did. Face of hope disappearing. Anger starting to rise. Dan's starting to get more and more frantic. And I get really cross. I'm getting really angry. 
and I'm thinking, Lord, nobody cares about me. It's dark, it's cold. Face of Hope has left the building, and there is no hope of a bus. And no phone call from Pastor Dave to say, are you dead? Are you alive? Have you been kidnapped? Nothing. So you can imagine, can't you? I'm losing it quite fast by this stage. Fast. So by quarter to seven, having waited an hour in the freezing cold at the bus station, I've completely gone from face of hope to hopelessness and anger and frustration and contorted face. And, you know, and I didn't want to get involved with the conversation that was going on about bus drivers and the roadworks and everything else. I wanted to know why it was quarter to seven and I'd had no bus, no, no bus, no phone call, nobody loves me, nobody cares, people don't care. And there I am, so I've gone from being face of hope to, you know, in a place of complete loneliness, cold, dark, hungry, needing a wee, thinking, what's this all about? And at quarter to seven, what happens at quarter to seven? Two buses come. Two buses come. So there I am. I'm not, I will get to a preach in a minute. So there, this is an illustration, by the way. So there I am thinking, not only does two, you know, two buses don't, they come at the same time. Does that happen to anybody else? So there I am. Two buses come. I get on the bus and there's a big crowd now of people. And I'm just thinking, I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to shout at the bus driver because actually it's not his fault. It's not his fault. So I say to him, have you a leaflet where I can write to your company to say how bad this service is? So not only is he not looking at me when he's talking to me, he's got his arm like that and he's got a leaflet and he's talking to the bus driver next to him. So the bus driver next to him, they're having a chat and we get on the bus. By this time I'm freezing cold and tired and a little bit angry and I'm losing it quite fast. And the next thing I hear, the bus driver shouts, everybody off. <laughs> Did I just hear that? Everybody off. So I get off and I'm thinking, rah, rah, rah. We go round the corner. So we've not even left the bus station. And this young girl shouts, I've left my case on the other bus. By this stage, I've stood up and I'm shouting, stop the bus. So the bus stops, the little girl, well she's about 18, she jumps off, she gets the case, she comes back on. I get home, I get off at Braddon Avenue, it's dark, cold and I'm freezing, I'm tired. No phone call from Dave, 20 past 7 by this stage. I walk in the house, <laughs> up the stairs, no lights on, I didn't even go to the toilet, opened the door and went, did you think I've been kidnapped or murdered? I'm not being well. Honestly. <laughs> Actually, it was like a turkle. I'm not well. Been asleep. I could have been kidnapped. And I slammed the door and I went downstairs. Now, there's a point to this. No, there is a point. It was funny. Well, it wasn't funny for Pastor Day because he, it, was, it, was, it was quite upsetting. He was poorly. But, but the point is this. I've gone from a face of hope to desperation and desolation in the space of about an hour and a half. Now, you know, I'm... I like to keep control of my feelings. I'm a passionate woman. But actually, God just showed me how easy it is to go from a face of hope to desolation and desperateness and loneliness and darkness in the space of an hour and a half. So just 
just remember that story. If you're ever faced with waiting for a bus, Beeston Bus Station, don't lose it. Don't ring Dave. Now, this, this is my point. If David had been an hour and 40 minutes late, I would have, it's the way women work, isn't it? I would have rung him and said, have you broken down? Are you okay? Your dinner's on the table. But he, he, he was asleep, so it wasn't, it's not, I'm not having a go at Dave at all, but the point... No, that's true. But I'm trying to make a point here. <laughs> it's true. I'm trying to make a point here that actually you can go from being full of the presence of the Holy Spirit, keeping the peace, moving on, get, you know, doing it, keeping it all together, and just one little thing, a bus not coming, actually can turn it into all sorts of stuff. Now, fortunately, Dave wasn't very well, and he didn't respond to that, and he didn't react to that. Praise God. <laughs> Brotherly love and all of that lot. But actually, that could have caused an absolute explosion in our house. And it didn't. And afterwards, I felt really terrible. And God really spoke to me about actually this faith of hope and how we deal with situations under pressure. So, if you've got your Bibles with you, can you turn to Peter, the book of Peter 1 and 2? Now, I love Peter. I love him because I see reflections of myself. I love Peter Daly, by the way, and I love Pete Edmonds. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Peter Daly. Happy birthday to you. And I love them for different reasons, and I see um, reflections of Jesus in both of them. But I absolutely adore the Apostle Peter. And the reason why I do, because he he reminds me so much of myself, or I see myself in him. And um, I'll give you some, I'll put it in some context. Okay, so 1 Peter was written to guard against the external influences of the church. Okay, so um, it was the message of redemption. It's a message of hope and salvation. It actually instills in the believer, when you read 1 Peter, um, the basically the encouragement and the assurance of your faith in Jesus. So it reaffirms what Jesus has done for you through its writing. It encourages you on the basis of your relationship with Jesus. And it also encourages you uh, on the basis of trials that you might, you might face. So I love 1 Peter primarily because when you first become a Christian... Actually, when you read that, it reaffirms everything that Jesus has done for you. It talks about Jesus being the lamb, Jesus being the cornerstone, Jesus being who he says he is, and the the fact that we're being built into spiritual houses in him. And the threats from outside a church can have a, a purifying influence inside the church. But today I want to focus on 2 Peter. And this one looks at and tells you to guard against the threats inside the church. It stimulates you to wholesome thinking. It reminds you, it warns you, it advises you, and it equips you. So if you've just become a Christian, 1 Peter is great to read. And it's still good to read just to remind you of what Jesus has done for you. If you're facing those dilemmas of having the faith of hope and then going to desperation, desolation, 2 Peter will help you with that whole process. And that's where I want to concentrate today. I'm just going to read from 2 Peter. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who, through the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. 
grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and our Jesus and, and, and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who calls us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Wow. There's seven or eight in that lot. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind. He has forgotten that he has been cleansed from past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. If you do these things, you will never fail, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of the Lord Jesus and Saviour, of our Lord Jesus and Saviour, sorry, of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. So today, the title of this sermon, I know it's been a long time getting here, is the journey from the deserter to the defender of faith. So Peter is, um, I'll tell you a little bit about him actually, before we go on. Peter is a close friend of Jesus, is obedient to the call, and we see that in Luke 5, where um, he's been fishing all night, and they've caught nothing. Jesus comes along, and he says, cash your nets along this side. Now, if you're an expert in your field, and nothing is working, and you think you know everything, and you think you know how to handle the situation, and to do your job, and then somebody comes along who does inspire you, and you like, and says, cash your nets, or do this other thing, you have two responses. You've got one that says, you don't know what you're talking about, I'm the expert here. Or you've got one that actually moves in humility and says, yes, Lord, I will do that. And he does that, and what does he find? He has a massive catch, doesn't he? So he's obedient, he's humble, he recognises in Luke 5 eight that he's a sinful man. He says, Lord, I'm a sinful man. So he knows his position and his place. He knows, actually, that he needs to repent of, you know, of his sins. He's teachable, because in Luke 7.40 it says, Tell me, teacher, when he's talking to Jesus. And he's faithful because you see this in everything, um, every account of him in the Gospels um, before the crucifixion. There's a blind faith. Um, and when Jesus says to him in Luke 22:31, Simon, Satan has asked me to sift you. He doesn't understand it. So he, he, he accepts it, Jesus and he accepts the word through blind faith. He doesn't really know what he's going to be facing. He doesn't understand actually what that actually means. Because I think if you would have said to Peter, the apostle, that he was going to desert Jesus, which is actually said to him, he says, no, no, Lord. He says, I won't, I won't deny you. I won't deny you. But yet, but yet, at the crucifixion, the run up to it, what does he do? He deserts him, doesn't he? He denies him. You know, and I just, as we're sort of, as I'm, talking to you today, just remember those Christians who have had their heads chopped off. You know, I mean, this is serious stuff. I know I started with an illustration where it was quite funny. It was funny, but I'll be honest with you, I was angry at the time, just because the bus didn't turn up. Think of the Christians today who are facing death because of what they believe. So they'll have had the same dilemma that Peter was faced with. 
but they weren't able, they're not able to run away, they're not able to escape that torture, that horror, that execution. But actually Peter was and he deserts Jesus right at the time where actually you'd think that your best friend, the guy that you've been doing life with for three years, that you'd stand by. You know, and I just want you to just let that settle in your spirits a minute because Jesus, um, when he lists the disciples or he talks about his disciples, Peter is always the first one in every single list when they're listing the disciples. What does that tell me? It tells me actually that he does life with Jesus. He stands at his side. That is his best mate. You know, if ever I'm doing anything, depending on the context, you know, I list my friends. I'll say, oh, well, I invite so-and-so. Or have we thought of so-and-so? Or well, how does that impact my friend? How does that impact my family? I can imagine that Jesus has the same reflections, the same sort of um, response to Peter. He, he, he lists him first. Peter is bold and courageous because we see that in the Gospels, don't we? We see Peter uh, speaking out, actually, quite, some people would describe him quite negatively, quite loud mouth and um, sort of um, boisterous and um, opinionated um, and, you know, sort of loud mouth and a bit of a rough diamond, unlearned. That's what the scriptures say about him. But actually, when you look at it through different eyes, he's a likeable bloke. He's got a massive heart. He's full of passion and inspiration. He's full of drive. And he wants um, to see the kingdom of God come on the earth, doesn't he? And you see this reflected. And if you're not careful, you can, all you can read about Peter is that he's, you know, he's, he's bullshit, he's, he's a bully, and he's bullish. But actually, you know what God does? He uses people who put natural gifts and talents into them to actually be leaders. It's, it's how we approach that and what we do with that actually makes a difference. Some people have said that I'm a direct speaker. I, you know, I would consider my gifting partly along the lines of a prophet. And prophets don't have a choice in what they say often. They have to bring the word. And, you know, it's what anybody else does with it. It's what, wherever that lands, it's what you do with it. That's your responsibility. All I'm called to do is to bring the word. You know, so sometimes people can see I'm a bit harsh and I'm a bit direct. I'm a direct speaker. But actually, if I try and lace that with grace, if I try and walk alongside the, 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 the grace gift as well, actually that can be quite powerful. And we see this in Peter's ministry. Um, you know, the, the gospel say he was unlearned, but actually what that means is it, it, that he didn't, he didn't know and speak the languages that were, um, the scriptures were taught in at the day. It doesn't mean that he was thick or unintelligent, because clearly, as you actually study Peter, he's much more than that. He's much more than unlearned. Actually, he's quite a significant figure, isn't he, in the church? So Peter submits and surrenders to the teachings of Jesus, and he imbibes the Holy Spirit after the day of Pentecost. We see P- Peter's personality change from something like shifting sand, where he deserts Jesus, to actually solid rock, where he becomes the defender of the faith. You know, on Thursday night, you missed an amazing night. Um, Pastor Dave was preaching, and he asked us to list some of the attributes and characteristics of a leader. And everybody was thinking of all sorts of stuff. So, charismatic, good communicator, caring, teachable willing to grow, willing to learn, all sorts of stuff in there. But actually, he, he had uh, L in one box, and that was full, because there was a, there's a few of us in there, weren't there? And we, we had a bit of a laugh about it. And in the middle column, it was M, which was management. And at the end column was a J for Jesus. And he points to several characteristics, actually, that um, Jesus had before um, he started his ministry. And just these are... I actually thought I'd got six on here, but I've only got five. Obedience, wisdom, 
full of the Holy Spirit, knew how to battle, knew how to move in power. What was the other one, Dave? Growth. That was right. Growth. Was it? Well, I'll get to that a little bit later on. And, you know, when, after the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon Peter, you see all of those attributes within him. So he goes from a bullish, bold, bully-type character, which is way, the way some scholars describe him, to actually a guy full of charisma and um, grace and love. And we can see them developing within him. He was obedient to the move and the call on his life. This was witnessed in him coming back to Jesus after he denied and deserted him. Because one of the first things that Jesus says is go and tell Peter. Peter's deserted him. He's probably off in some bar somewhere or some drinking hole. Um, and I don't mean that, you know, it'd be like a, a what do they call him, a, a, you know, a tavern or whatever it was that they called him in them days. Now, what do you do when you feel you've let God down? What do you do when you feel you've let your friends down or your husband down? What did I do when I felt so bad when I'd shouted at Pastor Dave when he was ill? After I realised I'd gone from a face of hope to, you know, completely losing it and a meltdown. I felt embarrassed and ashamed. I thought to myself, oh my goodness, you know, I'm going to have to apologise to him. Not that I mind apologising to him, but actually it takes you into place of darkness, doesn't it? It takes you to a place when you, you do all of that, when you desert your friend or you don't behave the way you should do, to a place actually where it's, it's harder to get out of. Isn't it nice when that friend or that person that you've been not so gracious with actually gets hold of your hand and say, it's all right, darling, it's all right, you're forgiven. And that's what Jesus does in his words, go tell Peter, go tell Peter the rock, go tell Peter the rock that I've risen that I'm alive. Can you imagine the relief, the actual relief within Peter's heart, the fact that he said, go tell Peter, bring him, bring him to me. And Peter comes forgiven, set free, released, given a second chance. Now, I I would imagine at this stage, when Jesus says, go go get Peter, that Peter starts to realise the implications of Jesus' words, saying, I'm going to allow Satan to sift you. That's incredible. That's an incredible statement from Jesus to Peter. It's incredible because the only other time we see or hear that is is in the Old Testament where Satan goes before God and and God says to him, have you considered my servant Job? And you see in the picture there in the heavenly realms that God allows Satan to mess around with Job's life. And Job, being a righteous man, and knowing who God is, does not curse God and die, but actually takes his suffering, takes all of the calamity that's come upon his life, takes everything that Satan throws at him, but still worships God. And here we see, actually developing in the Gospel, the Acts, um, the Acts of the Apostles, that Peter starts to understand and receive that revelation of what that sifting really means. You know, Peter doesn't have a pity party. He doesn't have a pity party. He gets up and he gets on with it. So what an incredible thing to actually start to understand that dire place that you're in. That you, ought to, you, you start to understand that actually God has caused them circumstances. God has caused this event. So that actually you can have a greater understanding of God's love and forgiveness in your life. It's really tough when you find yourself in those places. It's really tough to actually hang on to some of the attributes that we, we look at here. Sorry, am I? Is that me? No. Um, 
And that's where we can see that Peter's obedient. We can see that he's getting some wisdom. We can see he's full of the Holy Spirit because you see that from the gospel message that he preaches in Acts. So you can see it there. But actually you can also see that he's battling as well. And that's part of it. We're not called really to um, an easy life. Jesus never says that you walk um, to glory, that journey of faith is, is going to be easy. I mean, if any of you in this room think you've had an easy walk of faith so far, please put your hand up because I'd like to have a chat with you. Because I'd like to know how you do it. Because it's a challenge, isn't it? It's a real challenge because when people say to me, why do you believe? You know, you're putting your faith in something that's not seen. Nobody really believes it. Do you really know you're going to go to heaven? What happens if you die and nothing happens? You know, it's a real challenge when people say that to you, isn't it? But you need to have an answer. You need to understand actually what it is God's called you to. You need to. So, and he preaches with eloquent words and inspired utterances. Because you can see that because so many thousands of people are added to the church. He battles um, on, even when faced with persecutions and floggings, imprisonment and even expected execution. So what's changed? He's gone from deserter, coward, to defender of the faith. And I reckon it's the power of the Holy Spirit within him. So today, if you've not been baptised in the Holy Spirit, you need to come and talk to Dave, myself, Steve, Russ, any one of the leaders in the church to be prayed for, to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit because it has an incredible difference in your life. An incredible difference. How does he do that? How does Peter do it? Because I think, yes, it's definitely the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's definitely the Spirit being poured out on us. But how does he do it? How does he persevere through the pain to get to the promise? Because he's been in a painful place. He's persevered, he's come back. He's held his hand up. Yes, I deserted you. He put down his shame. He's received forgiveness. And he's walked into the promise. How incredible is that? Because, you know, not so long earlier, not just a little bit earlier on, he's there probably in a watering hole or in the back room somewhere, hiding embarrassed, ashamed, feeling everything's falling apart, all the things that he's lived for, all the promises that he believed that Jesus brought, all that redemption gift, all the promises of a new kingdom to come, of of living in the glory of the Lord, of moving in the power of the Spirit, they've all disappeared. So, So I believe that actually as he perseveres through that pain, he does walk into the promise. And he walks into an incredible promise of blessing and the move of the Spirit. But actually... There's still the threat's still there, but something's changed within him, hasn't it? Because the, the threat actually is even more. Because Nero, by this stage, when Peter's wrote these books, he's actually blaming the Christians for the fires in Rome. They're all being crucified. They're all being got at. They're all being blamed. Like today, Christians are very often blamed first. Who's being persecuted? It's the Christians. I'm not allowed to say I don't believe in same-sex marriages because I would probably get a verbal warning at work, because I'm not allowed to incite religious hatred. I have to be very careful what I say. But actually, I say to people, do you want to hear something beautiful, or do you want to hear the truth? And we, the challenge to us today is, are we going to be like Peter, a defender of the faith, or are we going to be a deserter, and not say anything, and move back to the back of the room, and not say anything? It's a challenge, isn't it, folks? It's a real challenge. So, 
There's a couple of lessons from Peter, the rock, the defender of the faith, that I want to just share with you. Peter displayed a readiness to embrace, embrace suffering instead of prestige. God is good to us and blesses us abundantly. He's going to bless us anyway, regardless. He's also a responsible father who will not allow you to live sloppily. He will call you to account. He will call you to account on how you speak, how you behave, and how you live your life, how you treat your friends, your neighbours, your family. He's going to call you to account. Peter models a life shaped by God, a life energised and blazing with holiness. This is evident in embracing the events and circumstances that were fast heading to these floggings, to these persecutions, to certain death. But yet he carries on regardless. And it just he had an incredible ministry. You know, an incredible ministry. And let's be honest, the Catholic Church is built on his theology and his um, reputation and his early teachings. Peter understands forgiveness. He understands the concept of forgiveness. He understands that adding knowledge to his faith actually will help him deal with the pain, help him persevere, and help him actually embrace the promise. My challenge again to you today is, how much of the scripture do you understand and how do you apply it to your life to let it change you? The word says that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. What does that mean? It means reading the word. Instead of reading, um, you know, sound philosophies of the world and whatever it is they think and wise thinking of the scholars in the world, don't embrace that. Embrace the word of God. Let it transform you. Let it transform your mind because as you allow it to transform your mind, it will change the way you behave. So faith of hope. I was full of hope. Keeping the peace. Full of hope. But gradually, these little words from these people at the bus station and my lack of self-control of my passion and my stuff, my personality, actually lost it. Don't, seriously, don't let that happen to you. Don't lose the peace that Christ has given to you and have bought and paid an enormous price for you. But add knowledge to your faith because actually... Those are your tools in the battle. Because if you understand the scripture, whenever you feel like losing it, you can actually sing or you can talk the scripture out or you can say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I am weak, but he is strong. You know, he blesses me abundantly. I'm walking into the promises. How do I do that? By a changed life, changed heart, changed soul, cleansed soul, changed mind. And you can only do that when you've got the knowledge. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. That's what they say in the workplace. The more knowledge you've got, the more powerful you are. Let's apply it to the word of God. The more knowledge of the word of God you've got, the more powerful you are in the ministry. Because if you haven't got the knowledge of God and understand the scriptures and let it change you, then you've got nothing. It's all about embracing the promises in the word. And you only do that by reading the word and allowing it to change you. Allowing it to wash you clean. Allowing it to make the, the way you work and behave is different. So if I start a new job on my first day, I'm going to be wondering what on earth is going on. I don't know what this terminology means. I don't know what that process means. But two years on, I have a greater understanding because I've read the manual, I've done the processing, I've done the work. So you get used to all of that. It's the same with the word of God. Read the word, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I'm telling you now, your life will be radically changed. And that's what Peter did. 
He understood that with the power of the Holy Spirit. In Luke, um, I think it's 25, 49 or 45, it says, Jesus, before he left the disciples, he prayed to the Father and he said, I pray, Lord, that you would open their mind to my word, that they'd be radically changed. That they'd be radically changed is my paraphrase. But Jesus, that's the prayer he prayed for his disciples. Why did he, why did he not pray? Save them from persecution. Why did he not pr- pray? Don't let anything harm them. Because if I was praying for Dave, I'd be like, Lord, surround him with your, your angels. Keep him safe. Keep him steady. Keep him steadfast. Keep him in the palm of your hand. All good prayers. But actually, what I should be praying is open his mind to your word that he would be radically transformed, that he'd buy his wife a brand new car and a brand new house. <laughs> That's my paraphrase, by the way. But no, I'm not that shallow. But, but do you get what I'm saying? We need to change the way we pray and imbibe the word of God. It will change the way we behave, we pray, we speak, we live life. It will radically change you. But Peter understood this. Secondly, he gained a wisdom from experience and not from a book. So one of the things that I'd noticed that I was doing, well, two two things really, was I was reading a lot of um, writing um, from gifted Um, spirit-filled, Bible-believing women of God. And um, it was great stuff, but I think there's a time and a place for that. I think there's a season for that, that you can actually get yourself around people who will um, cause you to grow, cause you to enlarge, cause you to understand actually more of who Jesus is. But actually, you're not going to get anything like what you would get from a gifted speaker or a conference or God TV or anything like that. If you get into the Word then I'm telling you now, that's, that's understanding from the word and actually putting it into practice, putting it into practice from experience. Because actually what that then does to you, it proves to you that actually the word is real and it's transforming and it actually works and you're living in the promise. It, that's what it does. And there is a, there's a price to pay in all of that because you have to switch the tally off, go in the back room or whatever room it is and read the word and not just read it, not just think, well, okay, Simon Peter, I'm a servant of the Apostle of Jesus Christ. I write this to you, who experience with God is a life change, is as life changing as ours, blah, 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 blah. I don't mean that. I mean, really imbibe it. Pray before you read it. Say, Lord, what, what's this saying to me? Even if it's one sentence, give me deeper understanding. Show me what that, this means. Go back to it. Read it again. Read it again. Read it again. If Dave and I watch a film four times over, which we have done, I see different things in it every single time. So you get the basic story, Ryan. You get all the stars in there. You get some of the characters. But actually, if you watch it again, you'll see other bits of stuff that you've missed. It's the same with the Word of God. But the Word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts to the very bone, the very heart of the matter. So it's not just the fact that you'll notice other things. Actually, God does something incredibly miraculous with you with it so the more that you expose yourself to it the more you're going to change within yeah and and then you can use it in your experience of life can't you so there are times in my life probably 10 or 15 years ago where i wouldn't have understood jesus or god saying to me i'm going to let satan sift you i'd be thinking my salvation's lost he doesn't love me anymore he doesn't care about me. If God said to me, I'm going to put you through a trial that actually is going to cause you pain, I now understand that actually it's for my benefit. Because God is a responsible father. He won't allow you to live sloppily. 
So, I've got another little story for you. So, when I moved to Beeston Branch, there's brand new pure gym that was being built opposite. Now, I've not been to the gym for about three years and uh, got quite lazy in my lifestyle. And there were several reasons for that. You know, you, you, just several reasons for it. So I, I, I didn't, I didn't um, do anything. I was eating what I wanted and, you know, life was busy and it was convenient food and being lazy and just watching the tally. And I love, I love watching tally. I love watching thrillers and I, I love reading books and things like that. And Anyway, not this February, last February, I thought, right, I need to do something because I'm just, I just started to merge into one, you know, woof. You know, that's how I felt inside. I might not look like that outside, but I just felt unhealthy and unfit. So I thought, right, I haven't got a lot of money. I'll start running. So not this February, last February, I started running. And I managed to get up to three miles, which I thought was pretty good for a woman of 52. You know, pretty good. Good workout, sweaty face, looked like a pink blob when I finished. But I felt good about myself because what does it do? It releases endorphins. Within and it's good for your mind, it's good for your mental health. And then I did that till December, and then it started to get icy on the floor, and I thought, oh, no, I, I don't fall because I had a traumatic experience a couple of years ago of falling off my bike. And those of you that were around me at that time, you'll know that it caused me a lot of trauma. I was, I'd, I'd eight stitches in my leg, and I did bandage for, how long was it? Four weeks, and I was limping. And I, I just thought, you know, being a, a bit this side of 50 and not that side of 50, we don't recover the same. And Anyway, so I, I stopped running in December because I thought I don't want to slip on the ice. But, of course, December is the beginning of Christmas, chocolates, food, nice stuff. And then I get to January and the guys were saying to me at the branch, join the gym so it'll be 10.99 for a month. Do it now before it opens. So I'm panicking, getting online, did it, joined. And... Um, so I thought, right, I've got to be active in this and I've got to apply myself. So this particular morning I thought, right, I'll try and get to the gym before work and I start work at 9 o'clock. And so I thought, right, I'll get the early bus. You know what's coming, don't you? No bus. No bus for 15 minutes. Which then meant I got snowed up in the traffic to Beeston. Which then meant I was 25 minutes late for my induction. So no trainer. So no induction, no nothing. Just frustration. So I thought, okay. So I booked into a class with a girl at work, and we went to this class, and I'm thinking, right, okay. I used to train a lot when I was younger. I understand operators and all of that lot. And um, so I went to this class, which I was highly disappointed in, by the way, because there was no, any injuries. That wasn't asked. Beginners, intermediate, Hardcore trainers, which Joe will be in that, that one there. Hardcore trainer. Fit. Beginner. That's me. Fit, Joe. Beginner, that's me. None of all of that. So they have these... I don't, have you been in the gym in Beeston? Battle ropes. Have you seen battle ropes? <sighs> Crazy. So it's like a big, thick um, sailing rope. It's probably 20 foot long, and it's anchored to the floor, and you've got to go like this. Crazy. Just crazy. Simple apparatus like that. Anyway, so I was not impressed with that, so I didn't go for, for about four weeks. And I just thought, actually, I'm paying for this. If you keep on doing what you're doing, you'll keep getting what you get. 
if you change something, by the end of the year, I'll be a size 8 and 20 years younger. I'm just kidding you. But do you see what I'm saying? If you don't do anything different, then you'll always stay as you are. It's the same in your Christian walk. If you, if you keep on doing what you're doing, and you're not having victory over something, you're not having, walking into the promises, you're not living in the promises, if you, keep, if you just do what you do, you're going to get what you get. But if you, if you submerge yourself in the Word of God, you move in the gift of the Spirit, and you take some holy boldness, which is what Peter did, and move into the promises of God, then something's going to change. Something's going to happen. So there I was. I thought, right, I'll, I'll book some lessons. So the Tuesday morning, I booked a 6.30 circuit class. 6.30, quarter past seven. Circuit, pure circuit. Obviously, I didn't know what this meant. Quarter past seven to half past seven, fast abs. Obviously, I didn't understand what that meant. So, I get up at 10 to 5, which I thought was pretty good. Got myself dressed, got my uniform in my bag, got my kit there. Get to the gym, get in the gym. There's four other women and a re- really fit looking young lad. Fit, I mean, I mean ripped, you know, not fit as an attractive. I mean, healthy, fit, athlete. So, there I am. And it's freezing in this room. And I'm, I'm ready, ready for action with me, my little drink and my towel. And I'm smiling. And then he comes in, he says, right, anyone done it before? And I say, no, I've not done circuit training before. Right, so just take it easy. So I'm saying to the girls, four of the girls, um, you know, have you done this? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's alright. You'll be alright. Fifteen minutes in, the guy says, take a drink. And the colour of that jumper there, red, raw. Take a drink. So I take a drink. I think I'm going to be sick. So he's saying, don't slow down. Carry on. He's got ten stations with different stuff going on. Ten stations. I'm feeling sick and I want to die. I feel dizzy. I see spots. And the guy's saying, just take it easy. Don't stop, but just take it easy. Seriously. I'm thinking. I looked at the clock and it's ten past seven. I think it's going to finish in a minute. So I managed to get to quarter past and then the fast dabs come on. I couldn't move. I'm just dying. <laughs> I want to cry. Anyway, I managed to get through it and I get to work and I feel like I've been hit by a bus. Because the whole of the rest of the day I'm, I'm feeling disturbed. <laughs> disturbed. And what's even worse, I've booked a class for Thursday. So by the time Thursday came and I went to that class, I could not move. But, but I persevered. And why did I persevere? I persevered through the pain to get to the promise. Dave and I have been married 20 years this year. I want to be a bit thinner. I want to look nice for him. I want to take care of myself. But I want to be healthy for God. I don't want to be a 60-year-old who's unhealthy and can't move and can't do the job that he's called me to do. And it's the same in your spiritual life. You need to apply the word of God. Be transformed. Do something different. Go through the pain. Persevere through it. Turn off the television. Say no to your mate. Whatever it is, but get into the word of God. The third key is, Peter had a humility that lacked nothing in vigour or imagination. So we have to be humble. Because when God calls you to a ministry and he blesses you, don't get big-headed about it, because it's not you, it's the Holy Spirit and Jesus who's blessing you in it. And Peter understood that. 
So although he moved in energetic preaching and ardent prayer and bold healing and was full of wisdom and they went to him for advice, he never ever took that space where he become big-headed. So when you look at him in the early days of scripture where they said he was um, bold and a uh, bit of a bully and a loud mouth, you don't see that in the, the later years in Peter. What you see is a humble, gracious man who actually guides the church and helps the people around him to understand more of who Jesus is. So I'd encourage you to today, just in bringing this to a close, because Dave's been going like that to me, um, I'd, I would advise you today to, to stimulate your thinking. I want you to stimulate how you think and stimulate it to wholesome thinking. I'd like you to just look at the word and let it transform you. I want to remind you that it's a battle that we're in. That, you know, if, if the devil, Satan, the opposition, the enemy, would cause you to stay in that place of um, sort of darkness and a lack of peace and feeling a bit naff about yourself, if he can keep you there, then he keeps you from the fruitfulness of what Peter talks about in his message. So let's guard against that. And the way to do it is to enter the growth cycle. So the, the first word on Pastor Dave's list was growth. This is a growth cycle. It's adding goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness and love to your walk. It's not easy because you've got to change something and you've got to deliberately make a decision to do that. It's like with me going to the gym. I know it's funny, but actually I've deliberately made a decision to persevere through that pain. I wanted to give up. I wanted to sit down, but I just thought, actually... If I keep on doing what I'm doing, I'll always have the same thing. It's the same with your walk with God. If you want to enter his promises, if you want to um, be all that he's called you to be, you need to enter the growth cycle. If you've not entered that, please, I encourage you today to get on the job of doing that. And growth is painful. It is painful at times, but actually you'll be persevering through that pain of growth to the promise of what God's called you to. And if you know God speaks to you and says, I'm going to let Satan sift you, don't think he doesn't love you anymore. It's because he trusts you more with his promises and his people and his way than he did when you first began your journey. So in summary, make every effort, add the attributes of the cycle of growth to your life and be fruitful. Your life is a journey and you must travel with a deep consciousness of God. 1 Peter 18:21. It cost God plenty to get you out of that dead-end, empty-headed life you grew up in. He paid with Christ's sacred blood. You were lost sheep with no idea who you were or where you were going. Now you're named and kept for good by the shepherd of your soul, Jesus. So I implore you again, make every effort to understand the word, which holds the promises, to apply it to your life and live in it, to access or access the divine nature because in the word you'll be transformed and you'll have access to his divine nature. Add to your life with the growth cycle. Remember how you should live, what your call is and be fruitful. Dave talked about it. Be fruitful, be fruitful, be fruitful. And I speak that over you as a congregation. You will be fruitful if you understand the growth cycle. Amen? Thank you for listening.